Hello, and welcome to the Wild Blue Podcast, perspectives on aviation lives, lifestyles, and business. Hello, this is Chris Kirk at Wild Blue Aircraft Sales uh, and our inaugural Into the Blue Podcast, a podcast that really has less to do with actual aircraft sales than it does just bringing forth some interesting, maybe some fun uh, stories and background tidbits as we run along. I've got uh, Todd Mitten with me here. Uh, Todd is uh, one of our aircraft sales advisors. And hey, you know, if you are looking at selling an airplane, we'd love to talk with you. But uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Todd's background here. So, uh, Todd, you want to give a quick introduction? Well, Chris, I am excited about today and about this opportunity to to share our thoughts with people who choose to listen to our podcast, uh, talk about aviation, and learn what other people think about aviation. Uh, Yes, by my background, uh, I've been flying for uh, almost 40 years now. Uh, in fact, I soloed uh, 40 years ago in June. Jeez, man, you're old. <clears throat> I know, I'm getting up there. The uh, uh, I learned in a flying club, learned how to fly back then, and uh, went on to get my ratings, become a flight instructor, and, and kind of took a little bit of a sidestep in the late 80s and, and joined the Air National Guard uh, and, and was a C-130 navigator for 30 years in a, in a career in the, in the Air National Guard. Uh, I wear glasses, didn't have the chance to actually uh, become a pilot in the Guard, but I had a, had a wonderful career and flew that airplane around the world as a navigator. Uh, as I said, during that time, I, I, fly, I continued to flight instruct. Ultimately, I flew freight for a uh, uh, freight operator. I then uh, flew for TWA for a few years and then American Airlines after that. So uh, I guess I have a fairly uh, broad-based background in aviation. You know, those of you that know us um, realize that we're, we're here in Kansas City. And what's interesting is that Todd, Todd and I had kind of somewhat parallel uh, aviation background. And we never really met until, what's it been, two and a half years ago, two I guess? Two and a half years, yep. Um, and we both went to uh, University of Kansas, Rock Chalk. And, uh, you know, we've since been talking with uh, each other and realized that we knew a lot of the same or still do know a lot of the same people, but we just never did did meet there. So, uh, you know, Todd Todd is, uh, what, what are you, a year or two older than I am, so a year or two earlier and uh, ahead of me in college. But I, I found that kind of interesting that we, uh, you know, we, we've run the same circles, so to speak, but never really came in contact with each other until you just happened to be getting close to retiring from the guard and were, uh, were interested in doing something else. Well, that's exactly right. I was actually, uh, several years ago, I had met a, another pilot that actually did some aircraft uh, sales and brokering and managed some aircraft, and I felt like that would be a wonderful opportunity to stay involved in general aviation or get involved maybe in a greater degree than I had been in the previous 20 years. So if you recall, I emailed you out of the blue uh, one day looking at, at your website, and this was back in uh, November of 2017. And, you know, I don't know what you thought about that when you received the email, but probably went to your spam folder, but nonetheless... Uh, yeah, you emailed me back pretty quickly. You recall that? Yeah, yeah. And then we met at some uh, 
breakfast joint over in Liberty and, yeah. and, uh, and had a good conversation and, and kind of, I think, hit it off from that point and just kind of started seeing that there's some possibilities here. And, um, so, hey, give, give me, give, give everybody here a sense of, you know, how, how did you get into flying, though, anyway? You know, you were a kid. You started, uh, you know, like a lot of us flying when you were a teenager. Um, how, is that something you always wanted to do, or how did that work out? You know, I was the kind of kid that, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, that rode my bicycle to the airport uh, growing up in Moline, Illinois, Quad Cities, uh, in summer mornings before I had a driver's license and, and my buddies would sleep in late. I would get up early and ride my bicycle three or so miles out to the airport and just watch the United and Ozark airliners and, and the John Deere corporate jets uh, take off and land. And that led me to, uh, well, a friend of mine, actually, his dad had learned to fly in a flying club. I didn't have a, uh, a, a dad or an uncle or somebody close to me that was a pilot. So this was kind of all on my own. I just had, had an interest. And, and then because this friend of mine's dad had learned in a flying club, that uh, helped me to gain some familiarity with that world. And so that's, that's how I got started. I was... 16 years old, and I told my dad, uh, I said, hey, dad, I want to learn to fly. And he, he said, well, if you're going to learn to fly, you're going to get a job. So I like to tell people I worked as an eating utensil cleansing engineer uh, at that time, and I uh, used that money to uh, pay for flying lessons. I paid for them on my own. I worked hard as a dishwasher. I remember being late to work one Saturday because I had been flying that day with someone in the flying club. Uh, we took an airplane to Ohio for some reason and got back. And by the time I got back, it was it was after the start of my work time, but it was worth it to me. So that was kind of my uh, my initial start. Those are fun days to think about learning in that flying club and. Did you get your license before you you graduated from high school? Oh yeah, I was I was seventeen. I was still a junior high school yeah, and uh, uh, probably if I have a regret though thinking back to those days it's that I didn't I didn't pursue it hard enough at the time I, I just I had no guidance and I even though I was in a flying club and, and, and I, I still am a big believer in flying clubs but I, I kind of uh, wish I'd had someone that had really taken me under their wing so to speak and 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 led me to pursue my ratings more quickly. You know, one of the challenges, you might recall this, was at that time you had to have 200 hours uh, to get an instrument rating, which would obviously be your next step after a private license. But when you're 17 years old and working as a dishwasher, paying for your own flying, 200 hours seems like That's a, lot. a lot. It's a so lot. That was a wonderful change that came along later uh, when the FAA lowered the requirement to 125 hours, but by that time it was... Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of time had passed. I don't yeah. know what year that was. So yeah, that you know, to answer your original question, I think that I was a. I, I just had an interest in it from the time I was very young. Uh, thanks to the Quad City Airport, there I even uh, had a, a aviation radio could listen to what was then called Moline Approach, and Moline Tower, and uh, just was always my interest from a young age, and I do feel fortunate to have spent my career involved in aviation, something that I love. 
You know, Todd, Todd and I have both been involved in aviation for the vast majority of our lives. And, um, you know, some of you may be listening that, uh, you, depending, it doesn't even really matter your age, I suppose, but you're interested in getting into it. And, and there's really just not any one particular way to, to start and then to get to whatever your goal is. Maybe your goal is, is to just have an airplane of your own and to fly that airplane. Maybe your goal is to actually fly for a career. Uh, you know, there's hundred different ways to go down those paths. And it's good, like Todd said, to have a mentor if you if you, uh, if you can find one. Uh, I didn't really either, other than just some of the guys that you know, you've talked to. My granddad got me into flying. But um, if you get that mentor that can help you along, because if you look at Todd's career, you know, he did that. He was you were a flight engineer. You flew some charter. You did you know your CFI, uh, airline pilot, flew um, uh, navigator in the guard, retired as an 06 in the guard, and uh, you talk about it just a wide, wide range of experience that, uh, you know, it, it, it takes a long time before you come by that, but that's just one path. Well, and then you look at the opportunities within aviation. You kind of hit the nail on the head when you talk about whether you want to do this just for fun as a, as a private pilot, maybe never own an aircraft, maybe own an aircraft. I mean, that's intimidating thoughts uh, in its own right, but whether you just want to do it for pleasure, whether you want to do it as a, asset to a business that you've uh, developed or working on or, or own or whether you want to do it as a career and and even career-wise people think a lot about the airlines or the military but there is certainly many other avenues of, of flying that people get involved in I mean there's there's you know flying airplanes in Alaska there's float planes there's there's banner towing there's flight instruction there's charter there's uh, there's small freight carriers there's there's just such a wide variety there's obviously helicopters and that that angle too so it it's hard to even know all the opportunities fortunately today there's a lot more information out there than I think there used to be when we were young I mean you know you had Certainly, you have YouTube videos. I mean, to me, to know what was going on behind a cockpit door would have just been incredible. I, I couldn't even imagine what it's like today. There's countless videos on, on YouTube and, on, and other ways to learn about aviation. So you said your dad um, told you to get a job, which you know makes sense. Were your parents otherwise pretty supportive of you, uh, you know, going down that path? <laughs> so my dad was my first... Uh, passenger and and huh? we went out on a cold day I got my license in January of 1981 and so it, again it was a flying club Cessna 150 and so I want my dad to be my first passenger and we go out to the airport on a cold January day didn't preheat the airplane I didn't know enough to preheat an airplane but uh, airplane sat outside at that time sure. which was common and and we primed that thing, and my dad helped me get started here. He's not a pilot, but I'm, I literally, I didn't have a big mechanical background, and, and anyway, we get this Cessna 150 started finally. We taxi out. We take off. We broke ground, <laughs> and he says, all right, you got me up in the air. Let's get back down, <laughs> but he did fly with me. I said, come on, Dad. We got to fly around the Quad City, so we did for a half hour and had a good time, and I'm sure... Uh, you know, many years later, a, a real thrill for me was uh, flying TWA DC-9s and MD-80s into Moline 
landing at the airport that yeah. I had learned to fly at and my parents meeting me. Uh, this was pre-9-11 days, and of course you could you could go meet somebody getting right off the jetway and to meet my parents. I'm sure that it was a source of pride to them. Uh, was I supported directly? Well, one of the things I learned from my dad was that I did not, and I tried to apply this to my own two sons, and that is that uh, I he gave me the okay on whatever I wanted to pursue in life. And so that I think that's a good a good piece of advice, and I'm happy he did that. Yeah. What's interesting is Todd's got two boys. Uh, one of them's still at KU, right? Yes. And well, more or less at these times. But then the other is uh, waiting Air Force pilot training down in Enid, Oklahoma, at Vance Air Force Base. Grant, we'll have to have him on sometime to yeah. talk a little bit about uh, you know his experience going through pilot training. But you know when you were in college, how did you fly much? Were you pursuing ratings in? Were you just trying to keep your head above water? Well, you know you remember out uh, the Lawrence Airport because I know you flew out there also. And when I got to college, uh, freshman year, uh, 1982, uh, I went out to uh, what was then called Lawrence Aviation, Lawrence, Kansas, and I got my uh, I got myself checked out in a 152. And my roommate, who I was just put together with in, in a dormitory room, he, he was a student pilot. He ultimately became a Navy pilot, by the way. But, uh, but he and I went out and, and flew, rented an airplane, flew around a little bit. So I did a little bit, but just enough to keep myself current. And uh, that was about it, all I could afford and, and all I was comfortable with at the time. But uh, uh, eventually, later in college, uh, Lawrence Aviation went out of business and and Hedrick Air Service took over, of course. And then in uh, the last couple of years I was in college, uh, I got a job out there working for Hedrick Air Service as, as a line boy, which was a great job, by the way. I loved it. And uh, and so that led to my opportunity to uh, start pursuing ratings where I got my instrument rating. I had made up my mind I was going to pursue it professionally, finally, midway through my college experience. And, and uh, while the University of Kansas was not an aviation school, I went ahead and just went to the airport and, and pursued my own Part 61 training and uh, instrument commercial and CFI, and then ultimately flight instructor a little bit in Lawrence. So you got your CFI by the time you got out of school. Well, that's a good story too. I took my uh, uh, my last final at the University of Kansas. I took an extra semester there, and uh, I took my last final in uh, December of '86. I can't tell you the exact date, but if I were to look in my logbook, I could because that afternoon. That morning, I took my last final. That afternoon, I took my CFI check ride. Oh wow, that's uh, with cool. Ken Godfrey uh, over in Topeka, Kansas. So yeah, that was uh, so. Literally, I graduated from college and I started uh, to become a, uh, a flight instructor immediately. That was my first out of college huh. job. Didn't you tell me one time you flew that 152 they had over there at Vinland Valley? Oh yeah, yeah. I used to rent airplanes there from Vinland then too. Uh, uh, that was a uh, a, uh, an opportunity. That, I mean, they had some rental airplanes down there, uh, a better scenario than they had up at Lawrence, I think. And so, uh, yeah, I rented, I think, a Cardinal too down there. Didn't okay. Did you fly a Cardinal? I, I never flew the Cardinal. I flew the 152 uh, from, uh, well, still, what's the name of the, the business that's over there? Uh, 
McFarland. McFarland Aviation. Yeah, for those of you that aren't from this area, uh, Vinland Valley is a uh, kind of a quaint little uh, grass slash gravel strip, uh, kind of between uh, more or less between Lawrence and uh, Baldwin, Kansas, and just a fun little airport to fly out of. And they had a they had a 152 at the time that uh, is you know kind of these circles that are they're crossing that we both had rented. Uh, she's, for all I know, we'd probably pass an airplane off to each other at one point in time. It's possible. But uh, I had several friends that rented that airplane. It was a good, good little operation there. Uh, nothing, you know, good stories out of there we can tell at a different time. But, um, and so then after you got out of, out of KU, then then what? Well, uh, again, I, I started flight instructing. Uh, to do it full-time, I went to the now-closed Richards Gebauer Air. There's a guy there who had two Cessna 150s, a tiny little flight school, and uh, this was at Richards Gabauer in the Kansas City area. And uh, uh, well, you remember, of course, the big air show they used to have oh, at yeah. RG. Yeah. Uh, and through that, I met uh, the, well, the 139th Airlift Wing up at St. Joseph, Missouri, had a, uh, a C 130 at the air show, and I met the crew. And a, plus, a buddy of mine had joined uh, the Air National Guard. I started to become familiar with the Air Guard at uh, St. Joseph. And that led to me uh, calling a, a guy named Tom Beale. Tom's long since passed away. But uh, uh, Tom was the, the chief navigator in the late 80s, and that's who hired me up there. He was a, he was a peach of a guy. Gosh, what a nice guy. But uh, uh, So that was my, led to my involvement with the Guard. After, I, I flight instructed just for a little while, which is Gabar, got hired by uh, KCAC, Kansas City Aviation Center, Johns County Executive Airport, so I moved over to Olathe and and was still pursuing joining the Guard. It's kind of a long process before you go to officer training and all that. And so I worked at KCAC for about a year. What year was that? 19, uh, well, it was 87 and 88. 87, so 88. it was okay. a little over a year I was there. And uh, that was a great job, too. Back when flight instructing, I mean, there they treated it as a job, like a, I mean, you had to get uh, medical insurance and other benefits. Uh, they had a pay structure that the more you flew, the more you could earn on a per hour basis. So uh, one of the interesting stories of that time in my life was we flew a traffic reporter around, a traffic watch um, type of a, of a flying where we flew this Piper Archer morning and afternoon and we had several guys that took turns doing it so you didn't have to do it every day but it was it was long because you'd go out for two to two and a half hours and just fly over the Kansas City area and the reporter would come on live with several different radio stations at different times and <coughs> excuse me and he would uh, he or she would do the reporting and you did the flying so it was a good time builder and it was a good consistent it was the first time, the first job, too, that I had where you really had to go fly. If the weather met the minimums, you were expected to fly. And that's that's a challenge, I think, for any new pilot, don't you? That, that Yeah. You, you don't know, know if you can say no. Yeah, and that's part of it, saying no. And also, though, just getting out into conditions that challenge you, you know, stronger crosswinds. It's easy to right. sit at home and... Go, well, it's just not a very nice day today. The winds are blowing, gusting to 14 or 18 or something, and so I'm not going to go fly. But when you are 
required to go fly to make sure you can get the traffic reporter up in the air. It forces you to push your boundaries. It's not doing any, I'm not, of course, advocating doing anything unsafe uh, or illegal, but or it violates an FAR or whatever. But but we did go when the ceiling was 1,200 overcast or when the uh, when the winds were gusty or whatever. Yeah. That's just what you had to do. Those were the days when John Wagner, the Sky Spy, used to fly around, wasn't it? Yeah, and, and Johnny <laughs> Rollins, for, for those of you in the Kansas City area, uh, uh, there were there were three airplanes up in the air all the time. You had to look out for, for those guys, too. But uh, and, and Johnny was great to work with. He's a nice guy, and because he was... He would talk. We had an interplane frequency we would use, but Sky Spy John Wagner wouldn't talk. Yeah, he was kind of a loose cannon cowboy. Yeah. Uh, so I remember driving down the highway and seeing him. Didn't he fly like a turbo, turbo arrow, arrow four? Yeah. Arrow four. That's what I thought. And yeah, I remember going down I thirty five one day, headed towards downtown, and uh, all of a sudden I didn't see anything go on, and then then just. Out of the corner of my eye, I see this airplane about a thousand feet rack it up to about sixty degrees and start this turn around. I'm like, ah, but I know who that is. And sure enough, you know, it was John Wagner, the sky spy out there. Exactly. And yeah, I don't know how he managed to do that just for one station. Uh, you know, Johnny one day said, Hey, can I give you a call? This was on the interplane radio frequency. And I didn't know Johnny, I still don't today to be honest, but uh he called, uh, he asked if he could give me a call, and at the time, the Royals season was starting up, and, and 980 KMBZ, radio station here in the Kansas City area, uh, carried the Royals games, Kansas City Royals baseball team, and he, want, they were on the traffic reports done, and he was so busy with all the other traffic flying he was doing, uh, he asked if I'd be interested in just flying for him and doing that. And I I had to turn him down because I, I just thought, now I didn't get into flight instruction, pursue all this to be, to get involved in radio announcing. So uh, I, I respectfully declined his offer, but that was always a little fun side story I've told off and on. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can see that, you know, just Todd talking here, regardless of what your experience level is, if you're just looking to get into it, how one thing often leads to another and, you know, doors open up and there's opportunities out there. Sometimes you got to put yourself into uncomfortable situations. I don't mean dangerous or unsafe, just situations maybe you hadn't thought about going down that direction and taking advantage of, of doing something new. So uh, we're going to try to keep these at roughly 30 minutes a piece. Uh, and I think we're getting pretty close to that time, but, uh, you know, got got a lot of ideas for future podcasts and rabbit trails that we can go down, and I think we're going to have a lot of fun with this. So, uh, again, Todd uh, Todd Minton, uh, Chris Kirk here at Wild Blue. If you want to visit with us directly, just give us a call eight one six seven two nine. I'm sorry, that's my cell phone number. How about an office number eight one six four seven nine two seven two three is the office number. Uh, you can check us out at flywildblue.com. Look forward to it. Uh, share a little more of our history with you and, and some other just aviation tidbits. Thanks for listening to the Wild Blue Podcast. Find us online at flywildblue.com. And don't forget to subscribe and share.